Let's uh, pray together as we start this morning. Father, as we come to look at your word and continue to worship you, we pray that you would be gracious, that you'd be merciful, that you would help us to hear, to understand, and to most of all, Father, we pray to see you, to trust you, and to be changed by what you say. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I'd encourage you to keep your Bible open this morning to the passage we just read. We're going to be referring back to it as we go. And um, I was thinking you should be congratulated because you got the time change right. But then I thought, did you? Because you maybe just got here an hour early, had some coffee and hung out. I don't know. Uh, If you did forget it, you'll get no shame from me. I'm one of those people who forgot one time one Sunday morning, thankfully not when I was employed by a church, because that would be a nightmare. Uh, but my wife and I arrived at church one beautiful spring day when you spring ahead, and we pulled up and we said, man, the parking lot is so full already. This is great. <laughs> and why are there people leaving already? <laughs> we finally figured out we were just an hour late. So anyway, it happens, right? Well, we are here this year to talk about learning how to pray And this morning, we're learning and talking about from this text in Colossians, how to pray for each other, how to pray for each other. And it's something that if you've walked with God for any length of time, you've likely been in a situation like I have found myself in sometimes where you're talking to a fellow Christian who's going through something hard, something challenging, and you want to say something. And so something comes out of your mouth. And as soon as you say it, you think, "Ah, I wish I hadn't said it that way, or that's not right. And the thing that sometimes comes out of our mouth in those situations is something like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll be praying for you, but is there anything I can do? Have we said that or thought that or said something like it? I think a lot of us have. I'll pray, and at best it shows that we just feel sorry, we can't do more. At worst it shows sometimes we don't think prayer is going to do a thing, but we feel like we ought to say something, and maybe it ought to be religious-y, so I'll say this even though I don't really know it or trust it. And so this morning, we want to ask these few verses that we just read, how is it that we can really pray for each other? For each other, and that means your fellow members of this church, in your community, in your small group, your kids, your family, how can you pray for other Christians? And it's something that we all struggle with. Sometimes we go to pray for others and we don't know what to say. And so we start saying things like, Lord, just please bless and help and work. There's nothing wrong with saying those things. They're great things to pray, but sometimes we're just wandering around not knowing what to say or how to say. Because here, this is why we need a model from Paul. When he prays this prayer for these people, it's a great prayer to repeat word for word your own self in your own time with the Lord. It's also a great prayer to take what he says and use it as a jumping off place and a pattern for your prayers of how to pray for each other. Sometimes our struggle is we need a model. Sometimes our struggle is we need motivation. We don't believe that it's going to help or that God's going to show up. But what I love about this prayer, and you'll see this as we go, is everything Paul prays is an extension of the grace they've already been given. Every Christian has been given grace, and what Paul prays for them is for more, 
of that kind of grace in their life to work itself out in all the nooks and crannies and relationships and decisions and challenges and trials, that that grace would be furthered and strengthened. And so the idea is we're going to ask God to give each other more grace. And if he's given us as much grace as he already has, then we can be confident that he's going to keep giving more. So let's look at this few verses this morning, these few verses this morning by asking just a couple of questions. First, when to pray for others, and second, what to pray for others. So first, when to pray for each other. And if you look back at verse 9, you don't have to be a Greek uh, scholar to see that we should pray for each other all the time all the time, unceasingly, because that's what Paul says. Ever since he heard about this group of Christians that he actually never met, he says, I haven't stopped praying for you. I haven't ceased, which by the way, I don't think means 24 seven, that's all I've thought about. Surely he had to think about other things, but when he says unceasingly, I think he means consistently and regularly a lot, right? He's praying for these folks a lot. And you're thinking, He's never even met these folks and he prays for them consistently and regularly. And you and I struggle to pray for the Christians we have met. Like, is this just Paul the apostle showing off his apostleness, his super secret spiritual sauce that he has? How in the world does he pray that much? And I wanna encourage you by saying what was available to Paul to pray like that is available to you. The reason he could pray like that applies to you too because there was no standing before God that he had that you don't. He came before God the same way you and I come before God, which is to say completely and totally by grace. Paul has, think about this, Paul has no more standing before God than any other Christian in Christ has, than you have. You have as much access to God the Father as Paul. So Paul, praying unceasingly, did it with the same access that you and I have. He was qualified to do it by God, which is a word that he uses later in the passage. And in the same way, you and I are qualified to do that too. But sometimes when it comes to serving in the kingdom and serving through prayer, we can think, well, I wish I had a different gift. I wish I had a gift like so-and-so who can be up front or can sing, or I wish I had a gift to be as generous as so-and-so, or I wish I had the gifts that came with age and experience. I feel so young in my walk with Christ. Or some of us think, man, I wish I had the energy and gifts that come with youth. And we're thinking, if only I had some other way to serve in the kingdom. But think about Paul in all his gifting, in all his knowledge, in all his experience, what's the first thing he does? He prays, which is something you can do and I can do for the same reasons that he can. Prayer is what this church needs. If we're going to continue to become more and more a church that the scripture talks about, a church that reaches its city, where we reach our friends, that reaches around the world, that builds people up in the faith, a place that loves one another, then we have to be a church that prays for each other. We have to be. We need you to pray for us. I need you to pray for me. Please pray for me. Pray for each other because we need that and it's something that we're qualified to do the same way that Paul was as well. But to pray like this, to pray regularly, unceasingly, you need some kind of plan. You know, the kind of arrow prayers, you know, that you just shoot off during the day when you think of something are great. But to pray consistently, most of us need a plan. 
right? We need something. And for you, I don't know what that is, but I encourage you, if you don't have a plan or a system, to try one. See if it works. It could be an app that you get on your phone. Yes, they have prayer apps that you can go and download, and they can remind you to pray about certain things at certain times. It could be just actual physical note cards that you flip through. It could be a time that you meet with other people to pray. It could be cards that are taped where you're going to see them on your mirror or your fridge. Try something. For me, for a long time, it's been cards on my phone. I found lately that wasn't working as well, so I just switched to this thing that I heard about, like in a museum. It's called paper. (laughs) It's like a notebook, and you carry it around with you, and it's even got like a little tiny pencil. And I have two little books in here. One is my to-do list, and one is my prayer list. And on good days, those things overlap. There's, you know, I'm praying over my to-do list, but I have a card in here for people and things and groups that I want to pray for. I have a card in here for you all, for the members of our church, to become more and more the kinds of things that we're going to talk about. So whatever it is for you, try something. Maybe it'll work until you die. Maybe it just works for you for a few weeks, but at least you prayed for a few weeks, right? And then try something else. It doesn't have to last forever. So find a system, find a plan, and try it. So you're qualified to pray. You need a plan to pray regularly. And also you need an awareness of God in all things, such that when you hear about something hard in somebody's life, you're thinking, what can I pray and ask God to do about this? When you hear about something good that God's done, you praise him for it. I was uh, thinking this week of a quote that I heard one time, and uh, it's that God is probably doing 10,000 things in this room at any one time in all of your lives, right? If you thought about all that God's doing in each person's life and in all the people that you know, we can't even think about all that God's doing. But of all the things he's doing, all those 10,000 things, you might know like two or three, right? You might know two or three things, and that's only if you're paying attention. But so often, we're not, are we? We're not paying attention to what God's doing in our own hearts, in the hearts of people around us. We're not asking and looking for those triggers of what's God doing around me. We also need an awareness of the people that he brings into our lives, an awareness of their needs, of their problems, their hurts, their struggles, their obstacles. We need to see them as God sees them. You know, before Paul prays in these few verses, in the previous few verses, he's thanking God profusely for these people, even though he's never met them. And it's because he's seeing them as God sees them. And if you're going to have an awareness of people, you need to have an awareness of them as God sees them, of your fellow Christians as God sees them. And not in terms of their differences or the conflict that you have between you or any other way that you want to look and size people up. You want to be looking and seeing them like God sees them so that you're thankful for them and aware of them, taking your eyes off yourself and putting it on others. So Paul prayed unceasingly. When do we pray? Regularly, unceasingly, consistently, knowing that we're qualified before God, using a plan, using an awareness of God and people and all these things. But that's great to know when to pray. But we need to ask, secondly, what to pray. What does this passage tell us to pray about for each other as we pray? And if you were listening closely as we read, you realize this is a pretty dense few verses. There's a lot that Paul packs into, I counted, just 125 words. He prays so much in just such a short time that 
I had to read through it many, many times before I felt like, okay, now I'm getting a handle because he's asking for so much. And as I thought and prayed about it, I think I can best bring it all down to just this one sentence of what to pray for each other. And it's this, that we pray for each other to have trust that changes their walk. To have trust that changes their walk. Everything else I think he says fits under one word in that short phrase. Like for instance, if you look at verse nine, when he begins to pray for them and tell them what he's prayed for them, he says, I've asked that you may be filled with knowledge. And knowledge is something that builds towards trust, as we're gonna see in a moment. When you and I think knowledge, we think facts. We think regurgitation. We think, I know this or that, and I can pass a test. But Paul is praying for them to have so much more than facts to pass a Bible exam, although that's great. Knowledge in and of itself about God and the scripture is great. But as much as the Bible talks about knowledge and the need for us to have knowledge, it's not talking about just having facts because Paul had this Jewish mindset. And for them to know something was to do it. And if you don't do it, you don't know it, which is often how we talk about trust, right? He prays for them to have a knowledge, facts that they act on, facts that change the way they feel, change the way they decide. And what sort of facts does he want them to have? Well, he prays for them to have a knowledge, again in verse nine, of God's will. And again, that's a phrase that we have to stop and think about, God's will. What does Paul mean by that here? Sometimes when you and I say, I'm praying to know God's will, what we mean is I'm praying for God to give me direction in a big decision, right? I'm praying to know what he wants me to do about if I should take this job or leave this job, if I should marry this person or not, if I should go to that college or this school, if I should stay home for a gap year, whatever it is, we're praying to know his, or what he wants us to do in a big decision. And that's not, I mean, that's a great thing to pray. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. Sometimes when we talk about God's will, sometimes when the scripture talks about God's will, it talks about knowing his commands, his will for you to obey. And Paul doesn't mean less than that here, but he means more than that. Because if we had time, we could look at other places in books like this one that Paul wrote, where he talks about God's will. And oftentimes what he means, and what I think he means here, is God's will to save people and to bring his kingdom. The whole thing. God's desire to save people and to bring his kingdom. God's plan to save people and to bring his kingdom. And God's carrying out of that plan. All those things are God's will. Paul talks about the mystery of God's will being Jews and Gentiles together in one church. He talks about the will of God all through Ephesians, talking about his salvation for us. I think what Paul is saying is, I'm praying that you would know, really know and act on God's will of salvation for you and to bring his kingdom. I pray that you would know, he says, God's will of grace, that he means good for you, that he loves you, that he's chosen you, that he's forgiven you, that he's saving you, that he's adopted you, that he's bringing you into an inheritance forever with him. That is God's will for you as a Christian. And think about what that means to pray that for each other. 
Isn't that an exciting thing to pray for somebody? Isn't it something you want others to pray for you about? And you think, well, doesn't every Christian know that to some degree already? Or they wouldn't be a Christian, right? But look what he says. Also, he prays that they will be filled with this knowledge. He doesn't want them to have it to the amount they have it now. He wants them to have it even more. He wants it to show up in all the parts and pieces of their life. That's why he goes further and says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual means Holy Spirit. That means this is a gift from God. You don't get this on your own. Wisdom and understanding are the same two words that King Solomon prayed that he would have when God answered his famous prayer for wisdom. Wisdom is like skill in godly living. When you take the whole of scripture and what it says about wisdom, skill in godly living. And when you put that in context here with his prayer for a knowledge of God's will, I think what he's saying is that they would know how to take that confidence in God's redeeming and saving work and trust and know by his grace how to apply it in all the situations in their life. How to live by faith in God's grace in all situations of your life. As Paul Tripp would say, on the street level, that you would have skill in godly living as you trust God's grace for you, spiritual wisdom and understanding. And think about the ways that we can pray those prayers for each other. Think about the ways you could pray that for your kid whether they're three or 30, if you have children. And they come up against obstacles in their life and your heart breaks for them. It could be a social obstacle or an academic, could be a health or physical obstacle. And our first instinct is just pray, God, get them out of this pain. Bring them comfort and ease, right? But what Paul is praying is that, God, I ask that you would give my children a deep sense of your love, of your acceptance, of your favor, of your grace. And I pray that they would trust that in this hard thing in a way they never have before, that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding to see what your grace means for them in the midst of this problem. And that is a powerful thing to pray for your child or for the children of this church. You know, about once a month, if you come here regularly, you raise your hand if you're a member of this church and say, I'm going to promise to assist this dear family in raising their child. And a lot of you do that and maybe you think, I don't know how to do this. This is how you do this. Praying for the children and youth of our church that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding in a way that works out in every relationship they have, every temptation they come across, every decision they make, every obstacle they face. That's how we can pray for each other, for the kids and youth of our church in this case. What a great thing to ask others to pray for yourself. You know, there's lots of times when Paul says to people, I'm praying unceasingly for you. And there's lots of times also where you read Paul and he says, please pray for me. And you think, you're an apostle. What do you need my prayers for? You're fine. (laughs) But he recognizes his need. And I think it's a great encouragement to us to recognize our need too. When was the last time you said to someone, I need you to pray about something in my life? 
and ask them even to pray that you would have a deep conviction and trust of God's grace and will and plan in a way that you have wisdom in whatever situation and hard thing you're going through. What a great thing to pray for each other in general in this church. God, I pray for the people of Village 7 to be filled to the top with certainty about your work of mercy in their messy lives and everybody's life is messy. And to know what that means as each other encounters marriage trouble or parenting trouble or financial trouble or job trouble or neighbor trouble, as we know our non-Christian neighbors and seek to love them well and share the gospel with them, what a great thing to be praying for each other. And knowing and trusting that changes people's walk. So if you look at verse 10, he says that he prays this for them so as that they would have a walk in a manner worthy. And in the Bible, a walk isn't going out for a stroll, but it means the pattern and trajectory of your life, your attitude, your behavior, your choices played out over the long term. Your walk with the Lord, we often say. And he prays that their walk that's being transformed would be transformed such a way that it would be worthy. Again, there in verse uh, 10, a manner worthy of the Lord. And so often when we think about behavior or a life that's worthy of the Lord, don't we just think of externals? But would a life that conforms on the outside, but not the inside, would that be a walk worthy of the Lord? I think those people are called Pharisees and they don't get really good pub in the Bible. I think to have a walk worthy of the Lord is to have a walk where your heart is increasingly trusting and resting in who God is in a way that works itself out in your choices and in your actions. Just having your outside cleaned up is what the Bible calls a whitewashed tomb. That's not a walk worthy of the Lord. A walk worthy of the Lord is one that is worshiping the Lord and resting in what he is and what he has done for you. It's that kind of worthy walk where we're compelled and controlled by God's love. He also prays in verse 10 that it will be a fruitful walk, that it would bear fruit in every good work. And we think about uh, the fruit of the Spirit, praying for each other that we would have the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that we would bear fruit in particular ways Praying for each other, if you know someone who's struggling with a particular sin, to pray this for them, that they'd be filled with that knowledge of God's grace in a way that transforms their walk to bear fruit at that point where they're struggling. Are praying for each other in all the places where we go and need to bear fruit. As we leave here each Sunday and go out to our homes and our workplaces and our sports teams and all these things to pray for each other that we would bear fruit in all those places. And then I love what he says further in verse 10, uh, that they would bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. And I looked at that and I thought he's already prayed that. Why is he praying it again? Why is he coming back to knowledge? And I think because when you have that knowledge and you trust it and you obey and it changes your walk and you bear fruit, you actually know God better than you did before you trusted him and obeyed. And it becomes this beautiful spiral where you, where you trust and you obey, which leads to more trust, which leads to more obedience, which leads to more trust, more knowledge of God as you go on through this beautiful spiral. So he prays that their walk would be worthy and fruitful and powerful. In verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Folks, that's a lot of power. 
He doesn't just pray they can like bench the bar, right? He prays for power for them according to God's glorious might. In um, Ephesians chapter one, which he wrote about the same time as this book, he prays that they would know there the power according to the power that raised Jesus from the dead. So as we pray for each other in our walks, that are being changed by faith, we're praying that we would have power to have that trust and to obey. Power as great as there was when Jesus was raised from the dead, which, by the way, is the same power that's already operated in your life as a Christian when you were born again, when you were made new. You've already tasted that power. That's the reason you're a Christian. So this is Paul praying that that grace that we have at the beginning would be furthered and continued and worked out in all the parts and places of our life on the street level, like we say. So who do you know that needs power over sin, power over discouragement, power over temptation, praying that they have that, that they trust the Holy Spirit's power that way that works with their new heart? So we're praying for each other to have a walk worthy, fruitful, powerful, and enduring in verse 11 also. He says, I pray for you to have power so that you'll have endurance and patience with joy. Endurance and patience with joy. And endurance is what we need in those impossible situations that some of you find yourself in right now. There's so many folks each week at Village 7 that are going through really what seem like impossible situations, marriage trouble, family trouble, health trouble, job trouble. And when we're praying for someone to have this kind of walk fueled by God's grace, we're praying it so that they will endure these impossible situations and praying for them to have patience, which is a word usually referring to your trouble with impossible people. So endurance is impossible situations and patience is your time with those impossible people, which sometimes is each one of us right? We're all sometimes those impossible people in somebody else's life. But praying for patience for each other as we live with our family, as we have relationship with others in the church and with those outside of the church as well. And then also with joy. The Stoics of Paul's time, if you've seen like some of those old movies like um, uh, Gladiator, things like that, you know what the Stoics were. They were all about enduring. I will never fail but they had no joy. But Paul says, I'm gonna take the Stoics and raise them joy because we're gonna go through this stuff with joy, not because we're so excited that we're going through something hard, some impossible situation or relationship, but joy because we know that God is going to be working in our lives in the midst of it. He's gonna be working all things together for good, that if he's given us his son, he'll also graciously give us all things, as we saw when we looked at Romans 8 several weeks back. That brings real joy. And some of you can remember times in your life where you would never pray or ask to go through that hard thing again. It's still a hard thing. But someone said to me after first service that she just went through something hard and she wouldn't trade it because of what God did in her through that thing. I mean, she came down and just preached my sermon back to me. All these things that Paul prays for the Colossians to have, she said, was my experience. I had power to go through it. I had endurance. I had joy in all these things. And then he also prays for them to be thankful, for them to have a thankful walk. And that was so encouraging and convicting to me. I went back and looked at my prayer cards and I said, you know, I don't have one time where I'm praying for someone to be thankful. What about you? When's the last time you prayed for somebody to be thankful or heard somebody pray 
that someone else would be thankful. And I thought, that seems kind of strange. And then I thought about it. What a perfect and glorious and needed thing to pray for each other. Because when you're thankful, your eyes are up off just your problems and they're lifted up to what God has done and is doing and has promised to do. You're thankful. It becomes this great kind of spiritual protection against temptation because temptation comes in when we're discontent, when we're angry. And discontentment and angry, they can't go along with thankful. So praying for each other to be thankful is praying for each other to have this kind of transformed walk that Paul is talking about. And just in case they needed some wood to throw on this fire of their Thanksgiving prayers, he spends more time in this paragraph talking about what they can be thankful for than anything else. Because he starts back in verse 12 and he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has qualified you. How many of you, if you had to have a word to describe yourself, would say disqualified? I am DQ'd from being a good parent, from being a good friend, from being a good church member, from being a good husband, a good wife. I'm DQ'd in my relationship with God. But God comes along, and I love this word. It doesn't show up often in the New Testament. He says, you're qualified. You are qualified the same way that Paul was qualified. In case you need some fuel for those Thanksgiving prayers, here it is. You've been qualified to do what? To share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Inheritance is an Old Testament word for inheriting the promised land that in the New Testament gets picked up, and we get a better inheritance. We don't get just a sliver. We get the whole thing, the new heavens and new earth. That was just a foretaste of what was to come, where everything is fixed You want to be thankful, start meditating on and thinking about that. And that he has, verse 13, delivered us from the the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Transferred was a word that they used to talk about taking a defeated people from one place to a new place. God saying, you've been taken from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves, in whom because Paul just wants to keep piling on here, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, in whom you were bought with a price and were given forgiveness of sins. And the price we learn elsewhere is the blood of Jesus Christ. That was the price of your forgiveness and redemption. So we have a lot to fuel those prayers of thanksgiving and to pray that each other would know that. See, he's back again to praying that we know and trust the story of God's grace that God begun far, be- far, far back in time before we were ever even born. So this is how we can pray for one another, to have that filling of trust in God's grace for us, the knowledge of his will, his saving will, that gets worked out at the street level. So it transforms our walk to be worthy and fruitful and powerful and thankful. There's a lot to be praying about for each other, isn't there? We have a lot to talk about before God. You don't have to pray this whole prayer every time. You can just take a sliver of it. But I want to ask if there's somebody you've been thinking of during this sermon that you need to pray for or some group. Maybe it's the children and youth of our church. Maybe it's your small group. Maybe it's our church in general. Maybe it's your family. Who are you going to be praying for? And how will Paul's prayer change how you pray for them? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious truth of your grace, that it is your will, your desire, your plan, your carrying out of that plan to save us, to bring your kingdom, to give us an inheritance as we're qualified. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for all these things. 
Father, we pray that as we go today, you would remind us and encourage us and help us to pray. We want to pray. We pray you would teach us to pray and we pray you would help us to pray. And we pray that we would see the fruit of our prayers. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.